finish up tonight on, and I started to spend a few weeks back on the talents. I don't, do you still have from what I gave you last week? Uh, it, they didn't put it in? Oh, okay. Okay. That'll be the same thing. Um, I'm just going to, I'm going to start on this and you just, when you hear me say a scripture, you can just kind of get up at it. It's the servant's ministry of the talents. And when I finished up a few weeks back, we finished, of course, the talents we talked about when Jesus taught about these in the 25th chapter of the book of Matthew. One man had five talents, one man had two talents, and one man had one talent. And the Lord gave them these talents, and then he left, and then he came back to see what they had done with them. man with the five talents had uh, produced five more, so he had ten. One with two produced one more he had or two more rather he had four but the man that was given one talent had taken that talent and even though he told his lord he said i know that you're an austere man he said that you that you uh, reap where you haven't strawed and sowed and so forth and he said so i i took the talent and i hid it in the ground now the man knew that his lord was one who wanted some production he knew that but yet he still buried the talent. Now, the results, of course, was that that one talent was taken away and given to the man who had five. Uh, and the man that had the one who didn't, uh, didn't reproduce anymore, he took and was thrown into outer darkness. So there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Hell, that's what was done with him. And I made the statement that, that if we begin to look at these and look at these with clear eyes, if you would, we realize that we as God's people, regardless of who we think we are or what we think we are, that each and every one of us has something that can be given to God. We all have an ability and a talent, whatever it may be. And whatever that may be, when we do not take this and reproduce it, then we are in danger of hell. Each person, is, we should reproduce ourselves, if you would. We, we are obligated to God to do this. And so as I finished up, and we kind of left off with, with Moses. And, uh, and uh, you know, the, the story of Moses is a great one when it comes to talents of, of helping us to have the understanding. Because Moses' first encounter with God is on the backside of the desert. And Moses, we, if you've been in church any length of time in Sunday school, you know the story of the burning bush that was not consumed. And that was always interesting. I've always, uh, anytime I taught about home Bible study, I would bring this up. And it, it was the fact that the bush was not consumed that got to, to Moses. It wasn't the fact that there was a burning bush on the backside of the desert because that wasn't unusual. Uh, they said that uh, the quartz and stuff in the desert would actually reflect enough heat from the sun to take a dry bush and cause it to, to burst into uh, flames. But he was, he was sitting there looking at a bush and it was burning, and he probably had seen this before, but the fact remained that the thing continued to burn. It never did tumble over. It never did stop. It just continued to burn. So then Moses, as he checks this strange happening, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush, and he said, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh, hither put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon, wherein you stand is holy ground. Now, there is some interesting facts with just what was said here. Number one, God knows us by name. He does not, he, he, I don't care who you are and how unimportant you may think you are. God knows your name. 
He knows where you live. He knows what you do every day. He is completely, he, he knows everything there is to know. He's got all the details of your life down. So whatever happens to you, regardless of how bad, how good, how in between it may be, God knows all about it. And God has a purpose in whatever it may be that is happening to you. And if He loves you enough to know you by your name, doesn't He love you enough to take you through, to take you over, to be beside you? Whatever it may be, He knows all of this. He knows your name. He's, he's a part of your life. You're a part of His life. There's not a person on the face of the earth that God doesn't know that person's name. And regardless if they're laying in the gutter somewhere, homeless, living under a bridge, God knows their name. He knows exactly what's happening in their lives, and He would like to direct that person. What is so sad, and I, I, He and I have talked about this a few times, how, how many times that God over and over again tries to direct somebody's life, tries to get his hand on a person to help them out, and that person keeps going through the cycle of getting irritated and dropping out and moving the wrong direction and doing the wrong thing. And then it seems like, because it was up to me, I'd have given up a long time ago. Honestly, brother, I hate to say that, but I would have given up on some people a long time ago. But God still moves in their life, gives them a new job, does something good in their life, gives them something and start all over again and and guess what? Six months down the road, it's the same old cycle. They, <laughs> I, I just, it, it's like the cycle of Israel, I guess. God understands all that. You know, they, 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 they had a good judge, and the judge did well, and everybody served God as long as the judge lived. And as soon as the judge died, the enemy came in, and you look at the book of Judges, puts them under slavery takes them hard down, and they begin to cry out to God again. Then God brings another judge into their life, takes them out, they live for God as long as the judge lives. And then it keeps going, and it keeps going, and it keeps going. When does it, when does it finally stop? When is it that we wake up, grow up, mature, and say, you know, no matter what happens around me or to me, I am going to serve God for me and my house. Joshua said it well. We're going to serve the Lord. I'm not going to back down now. So God knows the name. Second, you see Moses' response to God. It was a good response. He said, here I am. Here I am. God then takes the time to introduce himself to Moses. God tells Moses that he has heard the cry of his people. And he's going to send Moses to deliver them. We're looking at talents here. And Moses replies like many of us would, all of a sudden, who am I? Here I am first, now who am I? Who am I that I should go into Pharaoh, that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I to do something like this? God comforts Moses by saying, he said, I, now this is important, I will be with thee. I will be with thee. Anybody ever heard that? Raise your hands. Have you ever heard God say that to you? Be, be honest. Yeah. I will be with thee. What's your first thought? Anybody want to help me with that? I will be with thee. What do you think first? Brother Wetton, what did you think first? 
Yeah, okay. Did I make that up or did God speak to me? Yeah, okay. Anybody else feel the same way? Did God really say that I will be with thee? Or did you just have a pizza at Papa John's? You know what I like about Papa? I don't really like Papa John's pizza, but I like those little, what are those, oh, peppers. Man, now you eat a bite of the pepper and a bite of Papa John's, and that's good stuff. I know, you know, we need to, we need to write a letter. Because I can't find a pepper that tastes like those. I've tried to find them. I can. I'm the only guy in the world can be doing this and talk about peppers and Papa John's. But you know, you eat enough of those peppers, and and uh, you might have one of those. You know, you wake up at night and, and God says, "I am with thee," and you got heartburn. <laughs> you know, there's been a few times at night I've woke up and I wish God was with me. I can tell you that. <laughs> So, so you know, it's it, it's so it's you get you get into it and you you do you question. You question, did I hear God say that, or did I make it up in my mind? You know, everybody wants to think that God would be with them, regardless of what they're doing. They want to think that God would be with them. So, so you, I, I think Moses is, you know, God sees something there, and Moses can't see what he has. Most of us can't see it, so that's the reason that we question whether God would say, I would be with you. Why in the world would he be with me? You know, what am I going to do? And, and the sad thing about it is that every one of us, I don't care who we are, we all have these delusions of grandeur. We we'll always think that if God says, I'm going to be with thee, that he's going to do something magnificent and out of this world. He's going to send me to Mars, and I'm going to convert Martians. You know, I, I don't believe anybody's on Mars, but just, you know, just in case. But we might think that high. When in reality, God just wants us to do something local. You know, or just do something to, for our neighbor, our family, or, you know, our son, daughter, whatever it may be. And I will be with you. You know, it's important to know that God is going to be with you any time that you ever make an approach to another person. Any time you ever try to talk to someone, you need to know that God would be with you. But we, we can't, we, you know, we can't get it. What we consider low. You know, how is it that, that we can think that it's a very lowly act for me to just be a witness to one person? How could we think that way? But yet we do. When in God's economy and his thinking, that's the greatest thing that you can do. It's just as great for you to be able to talk to someone uh, where you work or somebody next door than it is for you to go overseas somewhere. It's just as great. God doesn't look... At one person or 50, he just wants everybody reached. Everybody reached. And it's you that he wants to be with to do that job. So he goes on. I will be with thee. So God gives him a plan. But Moses contends by saying, he said, but behold, they're not going to believe me. They're not going to hearken unto my voice, for they will say, the Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And the Lord said unto him, What is it in thine hand? And he said, A rod. Then he said, Cast it on the ground. He cast it on the ground. It became a serpent. Moses fled from before it. And the Lord said unto Moses, Put forth thy hand. Take it by the tail. He put forth his hand, caught it, and became a rod in his hand. Now, it took a little bit of faith for him to grab that thing. It was probably an asp, cobra, something of that nature. He knew good and well that it would kill him, that it bit him. And for him to reach down and grab it, because you know, he ran from the thing to begin with. 
it took a little bit of faith. So, you know, there was some good there. So, there, so what was inside of Moses was beginning to show just a little bit. But God also is getting tired of dealing with it because God knows exactly what's in Moses. But Moses doesn't know exactly what's in Moses. God knows exactly what's in each and every one of us. But the problem is that we don't know what's in one of, each and every one of us. We don't. We, 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 it's hard for us to believe it. We're too busy. We're too tired. We're too, you know, how many? All of them. I know them all because I've used them all. All of them. We just get by one. So we go on. Moses just, you know, starting to comprehend the power of God. God further demonstrates his power by turning Moses' hand to leprosy, then heals him of the leprosy. God is showing Moses that he will not be there with him, but he will stretch, excuse me, not only be there with him, but he will stretch forth his hand with signs. So Moses next contends with God because he's slow of speech in Exodus 4.14. And the anger of the Lord was kindled. Through all of this, finally, the anger of the Lord is kindled. Now, do you believe that even though we're living in the New Testament, and God has already come in the flesh, the incarnation, took all of our sins upon the cross, paid the ultimate price, shed his blood to cover those sins, but do you think that he still can have his anger kindled? Do you think so? Can God still get angry? And we know that, don't we? We know that he could get angry. Because there are so many things that we, we bypass. We, uh, and, and God loves us enough. I, I hope, I would hope that God loved me enough to get mad at me. Because I know that unless I have just a little bit of that holy reverence, holy terror, if you would, of the Lord that will put me in the place that I need to be because I don't care who you are. I don't care how much you pray and you can fast until your britches fall off. And you still are in flesh and you're going to mess up royally. And you know the thing is that you can get so used to messing up that it just becomes a habit. And if God doesn't throw an anchor at you, doesn't stop you in your place, then you could get in a real mess. So I hope he does get a little anger with me occasionally. And this is what he was doing here. This is something none of us want to hear to find out. You know, none of us really want to, but on the other side of it, you know, we need to hope and pray that God loves us enough to direct us the right way. And if it takes his anger, then so be it. If God says, go and I'll be with you, that means that you will have access Now, this is what a lot of us have to remember. If God says to go and I'll be with you, and this is what he did with Moses, that means that that you're going to have access to the power and the authority of God. Now, in Mark 16, 17, and 18, it says, And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. It is worthy to note that these scriptures were not just given to the apostles or just to preachers, but it was given to them who believe the word of God and have received the power of God and have been baptized in Jesus' name. This was not just these signs shall follow them that believe to preach the word of God. It doesn't say that. 
It didn't say these signs shall follow them that believe that pray two hours every day. It didn't say these signs shall follow them that believe that fast three times a week. It didn't say that. It didn't say these signs shall follow them that believe who, who, who go to every door and the neighborhood and knock on it. This says that these signs shall follow them that believe. It said that if we believe God, we'll be able to cast out devils. We will receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. We're going to lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. That's what it says. If I believe that. Now, I need to do all the things I just, just told you. Uh, but it doesn't mean that I have to be perfect in all of these things in order for me to have these signs follow me. If God said that he will be with me, then I can believe that he will be with me, and all the power that I just read to you is going to be accessible by me. Everything that I just said. God then allows Aaron to be the spokesman for Moses, but this was not the way God wanted it to be. If you're slow of speech or have some other kind of physical hindrance, remember, who made these bodies? Who made these bodies? If I believe that God could speak to me and say, I'll be with you, then i got to believe if I've got a speech impediment, if I've got any other kind of problem, that God can take care of that as well. I, 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 I just... I, it's, it's been, I've been doing this too long. Because I've seen so many things turn around. I've seen... I've seen people who I never would have dreamed would have been able to be preachers, big preachers. I've seen people who I never dreamed would have been able to serve God. Now, honestly, I've seen that happen. And then I see people who, who well, I, I can't be a part of this because, you know, I'm not accepted because I, I look funny or I'm too fat or I'm too ugly or my hair's white and I've got a bald spot up there. You know, he's been here long enough now. <laughs> he's been here long enough now. He, he's fitting right in. All right, so, you know, so I normally get him, but he's getting so skinny I feel bad. <clears throat> yeah, we don't have to be perfect to have God do something with us. And I, there is, uh, I was trying to think of just reading it a while ago. Um, oh, well, yeah, it was, it was Matthew 25, it's about the talents. This is this is this hit me when I seen it. When he went to the man with the five talents and with the two talents that had had actually invested them, they made more. He said, "Well done." What he said to both of them was, "Well done, my good and faithful servant. Now enter into the joy of the Lord." And I thought, you know, that, that tell, we, we look for joy, but we don't use talents. You see what I'm saying? Somehow the two are associated. How do I enter into the joy of the Lord? Well, you use what you've got and you make more with it. So the joy of the Lord is predicated on us doing the right thing with what God has invested in us. And quit making excuses. You can be put, you can be put right alongside of the person with the one talent. Well, I knew what you were. Well, if you knew what I was, then why in the world did you do what you do? Or did. So I, 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 I don't, I, I just don't get it. You get a, you get a rhema from God, 
you, you, you know that you've got it from God, then I, I count on that happening. I've got something that God has, has showed me back a, a year or so ago, and I'm counting on it, Brother Fox. I'm, I'm counting on this taking place when I do certain things that I told God that I would do. And when I do that, I fully expect God to touch me, to do what he said he would do with me, and for me to be over the situation I'm in. I expect that. And why? It's because God said he would be with me. And I, I know, you know, you, 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 can, you can look at situations and you can say, why in the world would God do something like that? Why in the world wouldn't God do something like that? And then the reason why, if you want a reason, in, in my estimation with this, is that, that we sometimes have to be taken around. I don't know if anybody's ever heard this statement or not. It was, it was used a lot when I was a kid. You ever remember Jack Ridge? Remember Jack Ridge's barn? You ever been going around Jack Ridge's barn? You ever heard that statement? It's to, yeah, somebody, I think he lived in Railtown, didn't he? Yeah. He said, why is it that God has to take you around Jack Ridge's barn in order to get where you're going? I never did understand it completely, but it makes sense to me now. In other words, you have to take a long way around in order to get somewhere. And sometimes we are made that way. We keep doing the wrong thing. Oh, I know God wants me to do this. And you get there. Well, apparently he didn't want me to do this. And you come back. Well, God didn't want me to do that. Well, why, did you, you know, why didn't you listen to begin with? Are, are, you, are you there? Instead, you had to go around the long way to learn a lesson. The fact remains that regardless of how you learn a lesson, you need to learn the lesson. You need to learn the lesson. Don't be in, a, in that position where God constantly has to take you around the long way in order to get you where he wants you to be. Because along that long route, sometimes we get a little bit weary with it, and we, we begin to question God, and we begin to say, you know, why is this got to happen to me? Why is this got to happen to me? It's because that's the only way you would have learned. You're not stupid. Nobody, none of us are stupid. But we are all bullheaded. Doug, Doug said a while ago that Walena was stubborn. I didn't want to tell Doug that he's stubborn. He's gone, so I can say that. But... But so, so are every one of us. It takes a long time to get over in your stubbornness. And I know stubbornness. I know what the Bible says about it. I think stubbornness is like sin of witchcraft. And it's exactly right. You actually, with your stubbornness, you put yourself in the place of God. You're saying, I can do it better than you can. But it is in us. And you, you, know, you get the right person to push the right buttons. And that, that button is pushed, and we'll act out stubbornly just to prove that we're right. I learned a long time ago, and you will, I'm sure, that you always tell your wife that she's right, even though you know that she's not. Because it's easier to deal with a situation. And then the great thing about it, when she winds up being wrong, you can tell her that she was wrong. I'd do anything to be able to tell them they're wrong. <laughs> don't, don't look at it. She's shaking her head at me. That's terrible. <laughs> hey, brother, if it, I used your name in vain a while ago. It's, it's all right. Then. Okay. <laughs> I'm just talking about stubbornness and the statements you made, and I just said I didn't want to say that, that you're stubborn too. So I just, you know, I just... <laughs> 
We are. You know, and it, it, regardless of who we are, the right things are pushed. We will bull up, every one of us. And even though we know sometimes that God has something different in mind for us, we still think that, uh, you know, that, that, that's not what God wants to do. That's why it's so important to understand the Word of God. Because the Word of God has to go along with the voice of God. And if it doesn't, then you're in trouble. The Word of God should always go along with the voice of God. So we, so we, we go on and we see that uh, Moses is then <clears throat> is considered by Israel to be the most humble man in Israel's history. In Matthew 30, 23, 12, it says, And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. We have to realize that any miracle that God may do through us does not establish how great we are. It establishes how great he is. And if, if we can always give God the glory for the good things and be humble enough to take all the, uh, uh, well, what can I say it? for the bad things, that we take all the credit for the bad things. Because normally when it comes right down to it, if things do not work out the way that we feel like God wants them to, it's because that we've made a misstep somewhere along the line. And that's what I said earlier when I started this, that a lot of times we have to go back and we have to fix that misstep. We have to go back and find out where is it that things are not going the way they should. I've probably may have messed up somewhere back here. Either that or God's trying to teach me some kind of lesson. But I will know if I look back and look at my life and see and be honest with myself, I'll find out where I made the misstep. And then I repent of it. I just simply repent of that misstep. And when I repent, that means I'm trying to do my best, God, not to do it again, but also be aware that I'm very capable of doing it again. If we are men of great abilities and education, we can find ourselves trusting in our abilities and not in the power of God. Now, in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 4, it says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of men's wisdom, but of the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Now, if any man could have boasted of his wisdom and understanding, it was Paul. He was taught at the feet of Gamaliel, who was one of the teachers and leaders of the Pharisees and the doctors of the law. You can see it in Acts 5.34 and Acts and Acts 22 and 3. Now, if you are not a person of great wisdom, multiple degrees, the great thing about serving God is that you're going to fit in just fine. Paul asked the question in 1 Corinthians 1.20. He said, where is the wise? He said, where is the scribe? Where is the dispute of the world? Hath not God made the foolish the wisdom of, his world, of this world? God looks more on our attitude than our intellect. That's the key. It's not a matter of how much you know. It's your attitude that you have with what you do know. That's the key element in all of this. God can grant wisdom and knowledge. You can look at Solomon in Second Chronicles 1, 7 through 12. Because Solomon had asked for wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people. For who can judge this, that people, a so great a people? When we look at the disciples of Jesus who were to become the leaders of the New Testament church, many were just fishermen, one of the lowest professions of the day. But God used one of them to preach the first sermon to the church. God also used them to reach out to the Gentiles. 
in John 14, 26, we find the Spirit of God will be our teacher. And it says this, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and having all things to, excuse me, and having all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said to you. The Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things. What is that saying? Uh, that, that's been one of those scriptures that uh, gets misused quite a bit because there are certain groups out there that will tell you they don't need a preacher because God, the comforter. Anybody have any, anything to say on that? Anything? Brother, do you have anything? What would you say that that was saying? If the comforter is to be the teacher, how does that work in that you, you know, the Bible says you can't make it to heaven without a preacher? It'll show you false prophets, and that's why, and that's exactly right. It'll show you. It will. It will. The Holy Ghost, the Comforter, will allow you to know. I've had I've had people make statements that very similar to what he's saying. I'm sure he sees it more than I do, but I've had, had people come in and say, you know, I went to that church, but things weren't. They wouldn't tell you what wasn't right, but they told you things weren't just right, and that's exactly what that scripture is saying. The Comforter will let you know. The Holy Ghost will let you know when things are not right. It will let you know. And that's, that's, that's vital because, you know, it's not that you can't, you know, the Bible tells you you can't make it to heaven without a preacher. And how can he preach unless to be sent? And, and we know that the only way to understand who is sent of God and, and the way to be acknowledged that is to know that, that only a person that's preaching verbatim what the apostles preached is sent of God. That is the only way to know that. And, you know, what a promise for those of us who have no degrees or great abilities. That's a promise to us. We have, even though we may not be the most intellectual, yet we know that God will guide us in the right way and keep us in the right way. And that's, that's vital. One attitude that God looks for is recorded, recorded in Psalm fifty-one seventeen. He said, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou will not despise. Another attitude is a willing heart, which is demonstrated in the Bible where these words are, here am I, or, uh, or here am I, send me. Others have demonstrated these words in their actions. Moses, who we've already read about in Exodus 3 and 4, answers God with these words. He says, here am I. But in 1 Samuel 3, 3 and 10, Samuel is called first three times by God. Samuel runs to Eli because until this time he had never heard the voice of God. Eli finally instructs Samuel on how to answer God. He said, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. From that time forward, Samuel became the voice of God to the people. Another scripture found in Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. Here Isaiah found himself in the presence of God, and his first thought was that he was unclean and the holy presence of the holy God of Israel. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King of the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had 
taken with the tongs from off the altar, and he laid it upon my mouth, and he said, Lo, this has touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. What a great, great scripture for the necessity of speaking in other tongues when the Spirit comes in. That's exactly what is happening. What happens to an individual when they come to the altar is God literally takes a coal from that altar and places it on their lips. That's where stammering lips in another tongue comes from. For us to, to say that's not necessary is the greatest folly that you could possibly, possibly come by. That it is the truth. If there was ever a truth, the truth is without the Spirit of God, you're none of His, and you will not receive the Spirit of God unless you speak with an other tongue as the Spirit gives the utterance. Aren't you glad you were filled with the Holy Ghost? Stand with me. Thank you, Jesus. I am so grateful. Every day that I live, uh, I, I realize how blessed a person that I truly am to know God in the fullness, to know Him. And, and I'm, not, I, I'm not naive. I know that the Bible says, when you think you st- uh, beware when you think you stand, lest you shall fall. But I also know this. I, 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 am, I, I don't believe in being eternally insecure. I believe in being secure in my relationship with God. And, and I realize that I, 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 I have a security in Him. And there's a peace and, and a joy in my heart because I know that I have spoken with other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. I have been baptized in Jesus' name. And I do my best to live a repentant life and to live a holy life. I, I do my best. And if I'm doing these things and I keep prayed up the best I can and I worship God, I don't have to be insecure. And for us to stand, for you to, to, to sit back there and to, and to constantly worry about your salvation, there's something wrong. You shouldn't be, that pla- you shouldn't be in that place. We should, we should be the joyful, most joyful people because we've invested our talents into the work of God, hearing me. We have a joy as a result of that. We know that we're saved. I, have, I know, and I tell you, I don't know about you, but I talk in tongues every day. It just makes me feel good to talk in tongues every day. Every day. And there is a security in that. And I, and I love him. Let's raise our hands and let's love him for a little while. Thank you, Lord, for your blessings. Thank you that you have been with your people, so great a people. Bless them in every way. Strengthen them. Be with them, God. And let them have the security of the knowledge and the peace that you've given to each and every one. I pray right now that you would do that. I ask it in Jesus' name. Lord, bless you. Shake somebody's hand. Tell them how stubborn they are. In Jesus' name.